Alright, hello everybody. Welcome back to Dak Talk with your host, Dactyl, where we talk to interesting people who do really interesting things. And for his triumphant return, uh, also with his brother Brian, is Andrew Allenson from Act Studios. What's up, Andrew? What's up, Brian? Hey. Hey. What's going on? How you guys been? Good. Uh, from now on, I want to be referred to as New Jersey-based comedian Andrew Allenson. <laughs> Why? Very important. <laughs> I don't know. I just it has a nice ring to it. Okay, I didn't I didn't know you were doing comedy. Hey, we'll take I'm it. I'm not. Though. Oh no, 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 no. Don't expect <laughs> me to be funny. It's just my title. I got you. Uh, man. So, it's been 3 months since Y2K came out. And uh, yeah, it sounds like there's been a lot of ups and downs. Sorry. To... <laughs> I think it's been 3 months, yeah. So, so uh, how have things been since the last time we talked as far as like sales go and public opinion on the, on the game? Um, I actually think it's drastically improved. Um, so, you know, last time we talked, sales were decent, but they, they actually picked up probably like three weeks after that. And now we see less and less of the sort of like uh, anti-Y2K memes. And we're seeing more people who play the game sort of dispelling you know, disinformation about the game. And, um, you know, we went to uh, PAX East recently, and we were, you know, very pleased to see that a lot of people in the industry who saw what was going on came up to us, and they were like, you know, we knew that was bullshit right away. We knew that none of that stuff made any sense, and, you know, that you know, it was nice to see a lot of people didn't abandon us, even though, you know, we still have our fair share of those who did. I see. So I actually think that overall things are actually looking way more positive uh, three months out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's that's really good to hear, actually. Um, so, how how was PAX? Like, like were you guys just there to um, just to be there or to show something off? What was the deal? Um, we were uh, assisting on this game, uh, Starstruck. Um, so we went there to um, show off Starstruck. Oh right, and, right, right. Um, you know, while we were there, we had a bunch of like Y two K interviews set up. You know, people who didn't who hadn't spoken to us. Um, since the game came out because they weren't at PAX South. So, you know, we were there doing things like that, and we had a few... Um, we did, actually did a bunch of publisher meetings about our next game. So, like, our, our, our main goal while we were there was to try and, like, secure funding um, for a new title, um, which is, you know, what we were working on uh, primarily. And, um, yeah, so PAX, was, PAX overall was very good. Awesome. One of, the, again, one of the things uh, I wanted to ask about was something you tweeted out pretty pretty early on, I think, in, in the PAX oh, yeah. convention. Uh, was some someone apparently uh, licked your hand or something along those lines? Yeah, they, they did <laughs> some random so, fan. <laughs> so basically, there was this. They they probably were about maybe eighteen or nineteen. Um, oh, see, that's their problem. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, they should work on that. And. Um, they came up to me because so they they knew somebody who because like no one really knows what I look like. Everyone thinks I look like you know a guy with like red hair and a beard and thick glasses and a cat <laughs> on my arm. And um, <laughs> so somebody pointed out pointed me out to them, and they got very excited because they were a big fan of the game. And they they came over and they were singing the um, the Machine and the Crow theme. And I was like, oh, this is really nice. This person's really enthusiastic. And like, oh, can I can I shake your hand? And I'm like, sure. So I shook their hand. And it was fine. And then about 10 minutes later, they say, hey, can I shake your hand again? And I was like, okay, that's kind of weird, but sure, why not? 
So then they grabbed my hand and they pulled it up to try and do like that sort of like, you know, like the sort of like French, French kiss on the, on the, on the hand, the, the <laughs> European greeting thing. And then from there, it devolved into them licking the entirety of my hand <laughs> up until like my wrist. Is that good for you? Oh it my God. Really nice. It's a very nice tongue. Yeah, this is good. So, um. So they just like yeah, cat licked you. <laughs> it was really, it was really fucking gross. Um. <laughs> I never thought in a million years that would ever happen to me. And um, um, I'm now wearing gloves at every convention. Okay, that's good stuff. Yeah. So I, I said to the guy, I'm like, what, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and then they knelt down and they're like, I'm sorry, my liege. I'm like, what are you doing? Oh my God, dude. You're, You're one embarrassing of... yourself so hard. Just go. So I, at that point, I just I just walked away because we were at this point, we were at the Oh. We were at a bar in the Hilton, okay. or the whatever the whatever the hotel is next to Pax, and I just like went to the other side of the room and just avoided them for the rest of the night. Oh my god, so dude! They had to they're following like every like interview you do, and they hear this now. Well, there if that would be kind of like screwed up. Like if it, this was something that they, um, I mean, it's possible that they'll hear this because. You know, this is going to go out on all the Y2K channels. So, right. it, so in that case, hi. Hey, so if you're listening, um, uh, you know. So sorry, I said not, being young was your problem. Um, yeah, you've, it's probably much deeper than that. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, when I was young, you know, I was kind of weird, too. It, you know. Would you ever lick someone's hand? Probably though? not. Um, but like, It made an impression. You're not gonna forget that. No, yeah, no. anyone can just shake your hand. Oh I, I wish I remembered what they looked like, like super clearly. But I mean, I I was pretty, I was pretty intoxicated at that point. <laughs> and, um, you know, because this was at like, it's at like, like ten o'clock at night at this point. And um, yeah, so if this person's listening, just don't don't ever do that again. Yeah, yeah, just or ask first, because maybe maybe I would have been into it if they asked. I don't know. Yeah, you just—you never know. You don't throw it out there. Don't just don't just surprise people with stuff like that. You know, it's like stealing uh, its like stealing their wallet, and they're, they're not going to like it. Prob- most likely. <laughs> most likely, unless they, for some reason, are really into having like their money stolen, like it's like their cake <laughs> or something. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there's a, a subsect of, of people that are used to one night stands and and that kind of thing happening, but <laughs> most of the people who keep their wallet like in like the shallow back pocket. They just want someone to grab it. That's, that's, edit that part out. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, that's, yeah. This could be someone, I don't know. I'm sure there is somebody, but never assume that, <laughs> that that's what they want if their wallet's in their back pocket. You always ask before you steal someone's wallet. <laughs> and if they say no, you, you have to not do it. We're, we're, we're right and now, we're working on, on his material for stand-up. That's what we're doing. Exactly. That's, yeah, that's what yeah. this whole podcast is going to be. It's just two hours of this. Uh, exactly. <laughs> but uh, real, real quick question. Um, just as far as Y two K goes, and I understand either way. Like, is everything kind of on the table to talk about about the game now? Like, are, are we out of spoiler territory? Or I think so. I think we can we can say that this is officially like a spoiler marked episode. Sure. And okay. at this sure. point, if you haven't played the game, or if you intend on playing the game, probably just hold off on this one 
And from what I understand, now now is kind of the time to play it because it's it's uh it's been updated and rebalanced and all that stuff. So yeah, the the um the balance is we're we're pretty happy with the balance of the game and we're pretty happy with the load times on the Switch version. So I think most people when they play it will play it on Nintendo Switch. I the, specifically the wanted it for the for the Switch. Yeah. So yeah, we cut the load times in like literally in half. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I actually I didn't play much of it. I um I did like the new game plus and that was one of the first things I noticed. Um I was checking out I was trying to check out the balance because I, I have no idea like how the uh combos are programmed in the game, like with the 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 disc and stuff. So I just hit it as many times as I could. <laughs> Uh-huh. And it was just ones. And I was like, I I don't fucking know. <laughs> I don't I don't know if anything's changed here yet. I'm sure it has. I yeah. just haven't had time to put into it. That's that's my problem. Yeah. So at the beginning of the game, um, you know, Alex is pretty much always going to just deal one damage because the enemies pretty much only have one and two HP at that point. Uh, yeah, I kind of um, figured. So like you know you you'll see the balance will be more apparent when you get to Windtown. Uh, which is basically where a lot of people complained that the game sort of had like a difficulty spike and the battle started to take too long. Um, because, yeah. you know, in the beginning of the game, everything essentially dies in one hit, you know, with the exception of maybe like one or two enemy parties um, in the uh, factory hotel. Yeah, I could see um, I could see that because the sewer was definitely... Um, that was definitely a pretty long dungeon, I would say. Yeah. It had a really yes. good ending, though. I actually really liked the like the that arc i guess yeah i think the, you know when when we were writing the game in the beginning um we had like everything sort of like really planned out but we had this big question mark essentially about what was going to happen in the sewer and i remember we kept trying to do like meeting to try and come up with some sort of idea um yeah so we didn't have any like we didn't actually know going into the sewer what it was going to be like and I remember when it was one of like the only things that I didn't have like an entirely clear idea, and it was sort of like as it was coming to me as as we were working on it. And I, I ultimately like how the sewer came out, and you know the story that that happens in there, um, because like we we knew what needed to happen sort of emotionally, and um, how the characters sort of needed to sort of move forward, but to make it like. Um, like the actual specifics of like how the scenes would play out and what the dialogue would actually be. Um, that was one part of the game that was, I think a little bit more challenging to write um, because it, it wasn't just like conceived at the same time. Dude, the um, talking about challenging to write the, the Essentia dungeon and everything that, that I have more questions just from that dungeon alone <laughs> than probably anything in the game. And from what I understand, just from being on the Discord, a lot of a lot of that has to do with the fact that um there was some stuff that was going to either be added on or like some some kind of side stories and stuff that just couldn't happen because people pulled out. Well, um, more more so what it what it was is we actually redesigned the Essentious Dungeon in its entirety. Because it was it was the worst dungeon in the game. It was one that Brian and I hadn't personally worked on. We had sort of left it up to someone else um, who worked on the game, and they, um, you know, they they weren't happy with it, and we weren't happy with it, and the publisher wasn't happy with it. So we took it as an opportunity to um, foreshadow certain things in the story, 
um, as a way to hint at things that like the, the, the greater lore of like the Y2K world, you know, whether or not we ever actually end up exploring that again in like another game or like, you know, short stories or anything, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, but we wanted to sort of like put the seeds there, you know, about there's, you know, more than there's more to like the, the ethos than um, what the player has access to in this, you know, like one game. Yeah, and yeah. that's how we sort of planned the Ascension Dungeon and like the the role we felt that it played when we were creating it. Yeah, I definitely got that impression with uh, like that was kind of the the big reveal of sort of what was going on with the story with uh, the infinite number of of worlds and and different mm. versions of uh, different characters, like all the different Alexes. <laughs> yeah, all and um, one thing that was really clever um, that. That sort of like, um, oh my god, I'm just calling myself clever. Um, <laughs> one thing that I'm really, I'm really proud of in the game is you see, um, you know, the, the Ascension tells you that she is Sammy, that she is Vela, that that she is all of these things that um, you know you desire, that you've harmed, and that you're connected in some in some way. But if you if you pay attention in Vela's mind dungeon, you see. You see Sammy, you see that connection there. And the one character, the two characters who are completely, you know, you never see in the Ascension's mind dungeon as parallel lives are Vela and Sammy. So the whole goal there was to have the player question if what the Ascension was saying is true, because if the Ascension was Sammy or the Ascension was Vela and it wasn't alive from the beginning, um, you would have encountered, you know, some sort of vignette with those characters especially after you know you're seeing like uzu and you're seeing um like um nyla and all those other parallel versions of the essentia and parallel versions of the alex that are all sort of like presented in a way that are crafted to sort of appeal to sort of like um what would make alex feel the the most guilty in order to convince him to um um basically like a- abandon all hope Okay. And that was Sorry. like one thing that I was very excited about, and I I don't think a lot of players picked up on it. So I think what it ends up being is it it ends up being interesting for your second playthrough, and you can sort of see more more detail about how that's um, prepared for early on. So basically, um, you're trying to convey the idea that the Essentia is not to be trusted and might be trying to make Alex sort of turn into the, the big Doom Meteor. Yeah, so rather than to make the the player feel um, like she can't be trusted, it's more to essentially like gaslight the player to give this expectation to, to present the player with, with information. And, you know, when you're given exposition, you just accept it, right? Mm-hmm. So um, the idea is to make the player feel completely uns- unsettled and the player who's paying really close attention would say, well, if if you're a parallel version of Vela or Sammy, why is there no representation of those characters at all in this dungeon when we see so many other parallel lives? And um, and then, you know, like, the Vela's dungeon is designed to, to sort of, like, reinforce that connection, which is why you come across, um, you know, Sammy and um, her mother. Because when Sammy leaves... Uh, the reality that's what allows Vela to enter into Alex's reality. Right. So basically, right. that you know that that in the beginning of the game when she vanishes is when Vela's first able 
able to leave the soul space and come to reside in Alex's reality. There is one character, and because like when you start the the game, uh, the title screen for those of you who haven't played, the title screen is uh, there's like a giant robot thing on the on the left side and the giant uh, what they call soul survivor on the right side, which are kind of like these. Uh, I don't want to say Lovecraftian, but sort of otherworldly kind of kind of creatures. And yeah. the expectation going in was, you know, uh, honestly, what you'd expect out of a lot of a lot of uh, typical RPGs, where you know you you kind of just given the marketing, you kind of start off in a small town and sort of work up to some huge conflict, and you you kind of do. It's a lot bigger, uh, I think, in scope than a lot of people might realize. Because basically, what you end up doing <laughs> is fighting for. I, I, you know, tell me if I'm wrong, but basically, you end up fighting for the uh, survival of all realities, or something along those lines. Uh, if you yeah, go with the sort of the basic end, fighting for the survival of all realities and and the the continuity of the existence of other souls other than just. Um, you know, the uh, Essentia Soul split of, um, of Proto-Alex. And um, the, the use of those two images on the, the title screen was we kind of wanted to sort of like, the sort of like theme of like the, the ghost in the machine of like, here's this, this, this um, android that can contain souls. So when you see the, the juxtaposition of the um, soul survivor and the mech, is basically supposed to, I keep saying basically, I, I got to stop that. <laughs> um, but basically what that is, is um, to have that contrast of like the organic life and then the sort of like, you know, com- computer parody of life. And that was, that was, um, you know, the mood we wanted to have on the title screen, which is why we, we use those images that aren't necessarily in the game. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And see, because I'm a I'm a big dumb kid, I was, and I, again, this is not a, a, a hit against the game. I was a little disappointed when there wasn't a giant uh, kaiju battle. Uh, <laughs> 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 I'm, I'm, dude, I'm I'm no, a grown I mean, child. Hey, I'm, not, I'm not saying there isn't a giant kaiju battle in the game, but I'm just saying that's the. Uh, hey, there's at least one fight. giant kaiju in Windtown. Yeah. Yeah. That was an awesome scene, by the way. Just how that was set up. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Yeah, we um, well, actually, Brian, do you want to tell the story about creating Windtown and the the nightmare that was before PSX? Um, so basically, I remember we made it and we couldn't get it running on the PS4, and we were yeah. That- that's so we had um, we agreed to do PlayStation Experience for the second time, and we needed to bring a new demo, and um, we needed to create a location that could serve as like a sort of like introduction to the game without bogging you down. So Windtown is all based around the idea of like that. It could be like a standalone, a standalone sequence. Uh, But when when we made it, it ran fine on the computer, but for some reason, which we later discovered, um, we'll we'll tell you what it was. um, We were spending like just to grinding this thing out. We were doing like 11 hour days for an entire week just to finish the Windtown sequence um, before PSX. Um, because, okay, the, the way that the game was developed was we had certain milestones we had to complete to get like our next rounds of funding from our publisher. 
And it just so happened that the one milestone ended right before we left for PSX. And there was no time in while finishing up that milestone to create a new demo. So, which means that left us with like seven days to create an entirely new area that was outside of the previous milestone that was like a cohesive thing that ran on PS4 hardware when we hadn't yet had the game running fully on PS4. Like we had done tests. And um, what we ran into was you would be playing the game for like maybe like you could you could get pretty far into it and then the whole thing would just lock up. Like from and beginning to, to then basically? What's that? Like you said uh, like you could play the game for, for a while. You, you mean like from the start to whenever it locked oh, up? Oh, um, just specifically Windtown. You could play Windtown um, and you could spend about 10 minutes in it and then it would just it would just freeze. And it turned out to be um, what was it? It was the it was the uh, some one of the uh, people working with us had left some point lights in the scene, like a lot of them, and it apparently used up like too much memory and caused the entire thing to yeah. crash, which was weird. And you like in that version of Unity back then, you just couldn't use point lights, right? Which is fine because like the scene didn't even really require them, so they shouldn't have like been there in the first place. Yeah, and basically what happened was this guy had copied. He kept copying scenes. So there were all these point lights that we didn't know about because we were trusting him. Yeah, to... I think he was trying to light something in the end with some of them, but I just replaced him with sprites, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he was trying to light underneath. He just wanted something that, like, to glow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but then we later found those point lights in other scenes because, like... Oh, yeah, that's right. He copied, like, he copied the scene to set up the, the next scene. So, like... Every time we were trying to get, like, the one area to run on the PlayStation, we're like, okay, we need to make sure that there aren't any of those damn point lights. <laughs> and uh, it became, like, the bane of our existence was those fucking point lights that, like, like, okay, so picture picture this. Like, you're, you're, you have to get on a flight the next day. You start your day having no idea if your demo is going to actually run by the end of the day, and you have to be on a flight at, like, 7 a.m. the next morning to go... <laughs> Um, I, I, I don't remember where they put PSX that year. Maybe it was like San Francisco or something. And we had no idea if we were going to have a demo that actually worked and what that would be like. And we were scared. We were like really, really worried. Um, and we figured it out at like 2 a.m. It was like the last second. The last second. And we went home and I think we got like three hours of sleep and then we had to leave for the airport. That sounds like a nightmare. It was. <laughs> it was. It was basically like the way that we were able to deal with that was we kind of like pretended in post that like our the development was segmented in like different seasons of Silicon Valley. So like we sort of like viewed that as like the the season the season finale, the thing we had to overcome. You know, that was like the last. But it could have easily blown up in our faces, and we could have gone with no demo and really made an ass of ourselves. After you know, a lot of people spent a lot of money to get us there. And um, it was it was terrifying. That was the only time that happened on the game. After that, we um, I think we leveled up, and we no longer had any issues ever getting our game to run. Yeah. Well, after that, we had rules about how you make a new scene. <laughs> yeah. And then um and then uh how you don't make a new scene. <laughs> yeah. Best unironic use of leveled up I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, I can. Only kind of relate, because for me, it's any time I'm about to start this podcast, can I fill an hour and not sound like an idiot? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the flight kind of changes things, though. So, 
but yeah, he had to be on. He had to be on a, a flight to to show up. Yeah, and then while we were making it, though, we didn't even really have a chance to even ask ourselves like, is this sequence good? Is this interesting? And um, it, the, all the suffering became worth it. The first guy to get to the end of the Windtown sequence and see the entity in the sky, um, you know, with like the, the really cool visuals that Brian created for that, um, which is like, you know, the, the beautiful blues. Yeah, and, that, that um, scene, yeah. Yeah, it's just such a nice, nice looking scene. And Bridget created like the two beautiful skyboxes um, that like I think really just like pulled the day and night portions of that area together. So when we saw that reaction, we're like, oh man, this was so worth it. It was so worth putting in like, you know, 12 hour days for, you know. And one thing I'll say is when we did that, we would never ask anyone else working on the game to stay longer than, you know, the eight hours that they were supposed to be working. Right. So like a lot of times it was just me and Brian doing that. And then, you know, Ian, Ian was a trooper, so he would stay. But like, we were like very like anti making other people on the team like suffer or grind. Um, so we, we always tried our best to be like, okay, like, you know, you can go home and like, we'll, we'll keep you updated. Like, you know, there's only someone, there's only one dev kit, you know, it doesn't take three people to, to figure this out. Yeah. So we tried our best, but you know, Ian, um, he was a trooper and he would like, he, he would, he would stay as late as he possibly could before his wife got mad at him. <laughs> Shout out to Ian. Is he still with you? Uh, no, Ian, uh, works in it now. He, um, he completed work on the game um, on the stuff that he did like a year and a half before it came out, and then he went into um, into IT, and he's very happy doing that um, because it's a lot less stressful than game development. So one thing that we kind of wanted to talk about was something that's kind of kind of really big into games right now. I think you guys did a really good job with it, and um, Jay Tholen or. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I'm sorry, Jay. Uh, but the guys behind Hypnospace, I think they did a really good job with what we would say is accessibility. Um, yeah. Because I will tell you right now, I'm horrible at the mini games uh, <laughs> present in, uh, in Y2K. But there's yeah. that nice slowdown button. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that made things uh, doable for, for me. As well so as, it's, it's interesting because yes. a lot of people now they're talking about difficulty and accessibility because of um, Sekiro Shadows yeah, yeah. Shadows Twice, which I'm playing now, and I'm I'm a little over halfway through it, I think. And um, there is a legitimate question to be asked of should every game have accessibility options? And I'm a big believer that every game should be fun for for everyone as long as it's it's fun for the the right reasons, right. like. Um, if you know we put in the um, assist mode because our, our friend John played the game and he has he has um, cerebral palsy and he was explaining to us the issues that he was having with it and he he played it before the game uh, came out right when we got our review codes and he was basically like saying like you know this is a little hard for me and you know I really like the game I wish I could get through it so we were like how can we make this game playable by more people so more people can, can enjoy it. And, um, you know, the, the, you know, the assist mode was, you know, the idea we came up with and, uh, you know, we explained our idea to John and John, you know, gave us like a little bit more feedback of how to adjust it. 
So like if, if game developers just work with people who have disabilities, it's, it's really easy to, to find solutions. But I think it's very important that the conversation isn't, are you making a game accessible to someone with a disability or are you trying to create something that is just going to have like, you know, sort of like Disney Marvel levels of appeal to everyone. And, um, you know, it'd be really easy to ruin Sekiro by adding like a, like a literal, like easy mode. Like there are things you can do to make it playable by people with disabilities right? and to make it more accessible. But I think that you, I think that it's kind of like as a game developer, like you want to make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Um, I'm sure. Okay. So I, I kind of see, um, two points to it. Um, obviously there's, there's your point and I absolutely agree with, you know, helping people with disabilities or even like people in, in my shoes, which again, you know, I used assist mode as well. Um, cause yeah, which is totally I, I, fine. It's, it's in the game. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's in the game and some people just don't have as much time to play uh, a lot of games, uh, like myself. Um, Very so true. I sometimes have to do stuff like that even though I really don't like doing it to be perfectly honest, but that's, again, that's just me. Uh, so I think the way I think about it is, is like this. What is the function of the game is for the player. You know, the developer can have one intent, but ultimately that doesn't really matter. The, it kind of comes down to the consumer, the, like the end user needs to, needs to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And if, if playing a game on easy mode, is how you can enjoy the game because you only have like three hours a day to get through it, like three hours a week rather to put into video games total. You know, sometimes it's easier to, you know, essentially breeze through a game than it is to like have to practice because a game like Sekiro is all about practicing. Right. And it's all about getting the timings and learning to understand the enemies and the feeling of, you know, frustration with yourself as you fail over and over again. So I think that if someone, if they were to add like an assist mode or something to secure, I think there's things that they could do that would maintain the points of the game's difficulty, but making it available to a, a, a wider audience, whether it be someone uh, disabled or has less time to put into it, you know, you would just have to design the game with that in mind. Um, Miyazaki, right? Is that his last name? Oh, uh, the Dark Souls guy? Yeah, yeah, I can't remember his full... Yeah, I think it's like yeah, Hidetaki Miyazaki. Yeah, I could I be so. wrong. Um, but he has always struck me as someone who doesn't really want to make like video games per se. He he wants to make experiences. And then like one of the most quotable things that I can uh, think of that he said was, health bars aren't your health. They're like your, your willpower to get through a situation. Which right. translates really well into like Bloodborne, um, yes, because of how that that works. Like you you get hit really hard and then you come back, do like a backstab or something, get some of your health back. It's almost like you sort of got some adrenaline to keep going. That being said, Bloodborne's still infuriatingly hard sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but to to that sort of like visionary aspect. And I'm I don't know if you saw the the rant that I I left on your game like before I even contacted you about the podcast about like oh don't change the thing that people want you to change I'm not going to say what it was because I don't want to get in trouble Uh, (laughs) but um, I am someone and and again I see both sides don't get me wrong but I'm also someone who really is in favor of uh, artistic 
uh, what's the word? Starts with an I. Help, help. Integrity. <laughs> Thank you, integrity. integrity. <laughs> yeah. I believe if you make something and you make it the way you want to make it, and you hear criticism, you're like, no, I still think it should be this way. Don't change it. Um, but I see a lot of people who sort of do bow down to the masses. It's like, oh, okay, no, well, you know. There's, there's, there's two. There's kind of like the, there's like two issues there, right? One is we, we have a culture at the moment of if you don't make the change and you don't, you know, um, self-flagellate and you don't have the appropriate reaction that people want from you, people will destroy your life. They'll destroy your career. They'll, they'll make up lies to justify the hatred that they're, that they're feeling towards it. And um, so I think that a lot of people fear being on the other end of that. So the moment something like that happens, they have like the knee-jerk reaction to make the change. Right. And... Yeah. With like something like um, like um, Sekiro or or Bloodborne, like there is an argument to be made that you could defeat the purpose of the games by adding an easy mode, um, which is why I don't like the idea of talking about this as an easy mode. It should be about accessibility for people who can't play the game in its current state. And if if you're creating it with the that that in mind and that sort of philosophy. I think you accomplish a lot more um, than just literally making making it so like you're not you don't, you, you take like damage or, or something you know right. there there are things you can do like like one example would be like when you're healing in Sekiro um, make it so your character can't take damage and if you that would be really good for people with slower reaction times which is like the biggest issue that you get with a lot of disabled gamers is is the reaction time half fast. They can get their, you know, their their hands to react to it. So even putting in options for the actual pace of the combat, but the combat has the same difficulty, but the tempo, you know, the animations and things, that's the kind of stuff that could give players, um, you know, who aren't physically capable, you know, the opportunity to do it. But I think as long as we're talking about accessibility and we're not talking about, um, dumbing down, maybe. Right, dumbing something down, yeah. or or saying that all games sh- should be you know one way. That like, as a lot of people say, oh, oh, I don't like when a game makes me feel bad about myself because I failed at it. It's like, well, okay, that's kind of the point, though. Like in life, like the things worth accomplishing are the things you feel bad about as you keep failing it, and the reason it feels so good to do them is because because of you feeling like shit. For having not done it you know yeah i kind of feel like if there isn't at least a little bit of a challenge it's not a game and i personally wouldn't want to play easy bloodborne like it <laughs> like there's still like obviously stuff to do in bloodborne outside of the difficult combat like explore and stuff like that but difficulty definitely like brings that game into i don't know it just makes it something else it pulls there, it together there are, there are some games for me that i i find too difficult and i, I get frustrated with them and i quit but I know a lot of times that that's a problem with me and not necessarily a problem with the game. Like a good example would be Hollow Knight. I played like 80% of that game and it just got so difficult near the end. And I just never cracked the code of, of what you're supposed to do to complete it. And even watching videos online of other people doing it, I could just never get my hands to do it. And I've, I've beaten Dark Souls 1, 2, 3. I've beaten Bloodborne. Um, and I'm, I'm good at like that type of game. But something about the way it works in Hollow Knight, and that's a game that's, you know, that's a, a masterfully made game. 
that game is incredible from the animations to the audio to the to the pacing and the the lore everything is so good about it i haven't so i can recognize that it's a problem with me that i can't beat it and i don't take my frustrations out on the people who made it or the product itself and i think that there's a difference between talking about that and then talking about accessibility yeah um and you know if you think I'm wrong, you, you you can definitely tell me. Um, oh, trust me, I will. Thank you. I appreciate your honesty. Um, <laughs> but I kind of feel like people don't understand what failure is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and that goes for everything in life, um, even podcasting, which is why I'm here. Uh, <laughs> but. If you don't fail, if you don't notice your mistakes, if you don't work on yourself, and I know we're talking about video games here, you know, this is philosophy at its best. (laughs) Um, You're never going to get better at those things. And I understand getting angry, getting frustrated, those things make sense. And I I just kind of wonder where all this sort of misplaced aggression uh, and and anger kind of comes from. Like, uh, it seems like people have lost almost like lost the ability to introspect and instead deflect onto other things or people. Um, and you see a lot of that on social media. I, I think, I think one of the problems is when you watch a trailer for Sekiro, it doesn't look like dark souls. It doesn't look like an incredibly challenging game. It looks like a really cool single player platforming ninja game. And I think people who understand from software go into it and they, they know what to expect. But I think the game ended up selling to a larger audience outside of, of that. So I think a lot of people who don't understand that type of game or that type of game doesn't appeal to them, I think that's where kind of some of the backlash came from. And then you get the meme, right, about the, you know, having like, you, you've accomplished nothing, you've learned nothing. And like you know, it's hyperbolic, but there's some truth to it. And um, I feel like we I, had the know, same conversation with Cuphead problem, too. Though. What's that? I feel like we had the same conversation with Cuphead when when that was a thing. But I think it had more to do with Dean Dean Takahashi than the actual player. Well, I mean, with when Cuphead came out, wasn't there like like re- like the issue was like there were some people who reviewed the game who couldn't get through like the first stage. That's yeah. That's right. That's exactly what it was. There, there was this big discussion about game journalists needing to actually be good enough to at least get through a, a portion of video games, like certain ones like that. Well, you know, I mean, like, <laughs> I'm just saying, maybe, maybe I wouldn't have a blind person review a movie. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. There was a guy on YouTube who used to do that. Um, he was a blind guy who reviewed movies. He was very interesting, actually. What? It would be interesting to see. If they came at it from like a situation of I can't play games, here's what I think. It is. You know what? Actually, but they're not. You're you're yeah. right. There's a better there's a better metaphor. It would be like having a blind person review a painting. There you go. <laughs> Some sort of like, like I would never expect like my my dad to play through like the opening of Sekiro, but like I could give him like um Mario Odyssey and he'd be able to get through that. And there's like a function for each type of game, you know. And, you know, there's like a certain amount of like get good and kind of like maybe know what you're getting yourself into. Um, And I say all that with the caveat of I believe they should add accessibility options for people with disabilities 
um, with that specifically in mind, not not for people who want like a, a cakewalk of a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I def I definitely agree. Um, wasn't like speaking of accessibility and for disabilities, there was a, a controller or something revealed. I, I didn't really get to look too much into it, but I think it was oh, yeah. like a Microsoft this, product um, or something. Yeah, what is it called? Um, I don't remember what it was like called, but controller. Yeah, because that could also be a solution, or at least it could help a lot of people. Um, it showed like little kids without hands playing video games. Yeah, and it's the the Microsoft Adaptive Controller that was developed with Able Gamers. That's that's what we're talking about. And see, and, that's great. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And you know what's awesome about it is, despite the fact that it's a Microsoft product, it works on every con because the point is accessibility. The point is let's let as many people enjoy themselves as possible. So you've got you know these two large buttons, and it's modular as well. Like you know you can you can you can make changes to it depending on, you know, what your, um, you know, individual needs are. Right, right. And um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make the games easier. It just gives you, it, it puts you at the same place, you know, because you can now access the controller, you know, for people who, who maybe only had one hand, you know, only a couple fingers. Um, and, uh, you know, that I think is a, an amazing thing that they did. And I think it's amazing that Able Gamers was able to pull that off and get Microsoft involved. And I think that that conversation is very different than the one we're talking about with Securo. I think a lot of people pretend that they're, they're worrying about accessibility, but really they just can't get good. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I agree with that, actually. There was there was actually, uh, whenever I beat Bloodborne, you know, before that, I was I was seeing the get good stuff. I didn't really get it. And I, I It took me uh, about half a day to beat the Cleric Beast. So, um, oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that bitch was hard. Um, but after I beat Bloodborne, right, I got it. I was like, you know, it's a meme, but they're not wrong. <laughs> no, it's true. You know, actually, um, I find playing Bloodborne specifically the most like learning a musical instrument. Um, you know, I, I play I play a few musical instruments, and um, the sort of like trial and error sort of practice you have to do is very similar uh, to Bloodborne. And um, I think that if if you go into it understanding like there's a different type of reward than the type of reward you get from let's say like a game like Mario Odyssey, which is more about like, here's a cohesive experience that's relatively laid back. And, you know, it, it, it's not like there isn't danger around every corner. There are things that can hurt you, but there isn't like a penalty for it. Whereas like Bloodborne, the Bloodborne, the point is the penalty. And um, like, I don't think we should say that every game has to be a certain way for like every type of audience, just in the same way that every book or every song or, you know, movie shouldn't be targeted at the same people. One thing you said a second ago uh, was that there, there are a lot of people who are on Twitter and such who are just talking about the accessibility thing. Um, I almost, it almost looks a little bit like, um, you know, like virtue signaling, you know? Well, I think that it's, it's very easy to, to, um, to jump into a conversation without having played the game or without understanding the, like the nuances of, of, okay, well, actually one thing I will say is if a game is too hard for somebody, you don't have to give them a hard time about the fact that they can't play it and that they, they suck at it. Sure. 
So you've got you've got those types of assholes there, and then you've got the other type of asshole who just wants to be heard, and they just want to be shouting into the void. <laughs> and you know whether you're calling that virtue signaling or you know um, you know like there's a, a million ways to look at it. Both of those people are really annoying, and there's too many of them on Twitter. Yeah, no, I I see so much of that when I'm just looking for like interesting things, you know, except for the or outside of the. 5,000th post about whoever went to GDC or PAX or whatever talking about accessibility. I get right, it. I do right. get it, though. You know. Um, like, it's once important. again, like, if we're actually talking about accessibility, this is a good conversation to have. Especially for game developers to see people who actually struggle with with being able to play all types of games. And you can plan around that. But if the conversation is I'm an able 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 bodied person with you know, just no sucks at video games, games yeah. Basically. And uh, yeah, I, I suck at video games or I, I refuse to, to try and get better and you know basically get upset because a game is making me feel bad about myself. It's like, well, you know, maybe maybe you could do a little reflecting and find out why you don't deal with failure very well. You know? There's like a, a bunch of things that you can you can get positive out of hating something you know like i i stopped playing hollow knight because my wife was like like are you having fun like are you actually enjoying this right now and the truth was was like no i wasn't i was getting angry at the game and i was getting angry at myself for not being able to play it um especially because like you know i consider myself pretty pretty okay at video games and i know a bunch of people who who beat hollow knight who couldn't beat bloodborne i'm like what the fuck is wrong with me (laughs) And then I'm like, okay, this isn't for me. This is, at this point in my life, you know, I'll put this thing down. But, you know, that doesn't mean that Hollow Knight should be reprogrammed or patched. I think uh, I think that we should find a way to go back in time and make Mega Man X easier. Yeah, right. Because well, I, I can't play options. that game. <laughs> That's the best way to beat that game. Pull it up in an emulator. Dude, <laughs> when I was a kid, man, that was like my favorite. My favorite series was Mega Man. I could play it and do pretty good at it now yeah, i'm not got those yeah. stupid old man fingers <laughs> <laughs> i can't do anything um, I, I wonder if um bloodstained how hard bloodstained is going to be because the the castlevania games um they fit into that sort of like mega man difficulty for me that type of platforming difficulty yeah i mean at least you can level up in that yeah that's I true that, that would help but who knows um, yeah I, I didn't play the the, the tiny bloodstained games how were those I enjoyed it for what it was. Were they hard? Um, there was like a hard and an easy mode, basically. Okay. That's yeah. a Curse of the Moon, right? If I remember correctly, you have to beat like the hard mode in order to like get the proper ending. Oh, okay. But I enjoyed doing that. That's interesting. Um, oh, that's so much easier than freaking uh, Dracula X Chronicles. Did you guys ever play that? I did not. Holy crap! And uh, okay, so in in that game, it was just like a PSP port. And it was, uh, I think it was a port of, well, Dracula X. Yeah, that would make sense. <laughs> and um, it was it was really good. But you had to do, like, you had to do really specific things to get the true ending of that game. And I probably played through that damn game, like, four or five times and never got it. Oh, uh, yeah, that's the worst. I did get yeah. Symphony of the Night, though, so that was cool. Like, for me, I tend to, like... I tend to like games on, on like really high difficulties. But then there are some games where like you'll be dying 
and it'll give me the option to skip the sequence and that that i i am like oh don't you dare don't even <laughs> don't, don't tempt me frodo that's it's the like, worst. like red dead redemption 2 had that shit I'm like dying a bunch of times and you know, like I have a button to skip the sequence. I'm like, never, never would I do that. Yeah, I guess they, they can just keep adding that to Bloodborne or Sekiro. Uh, Maybe like, that's the option. And I would have <laughs> I would have no issue with 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 somebody playing, you know, Red Dead like that. Like, let's say like you're like you're you're an old person I'd or something. I'd be pissed and I just quit if I accidentally clicked it. I'd be like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. that'd be me too. But, like, because like the reason I play games is, is different. Like I like I like a challenge. I like the game aspect. But I think a, a lot of a lot of games have moved away from games actually being like a challenge or games even being a game, but more of a guided experience that gives you the illusion of accomplishing something hard. And there's a you know a game developer whose name I won't mention that we we butt heads on this all the time. He's so insistent that games shouldn't be difficult that they should trick the player into thinking they accomplished something difficult but i don't know about you i can tell when a game is doing that i can tell that something is all of a sudden taking more taking more damage than it used to now that i've died five times in a row you know i i i find that to be like almost like patronizing yeah you don't want the game to condescend to you yeah, no, I I can agree with that. One good example of that I can think of is uh, Mario Odyssey because I beat that game and then right after that I watched a speed run and found out I can jump five times in a row. And uh, <laughs> oh yeah, so like I'm just bad um, at that game. <laughs> we we were babysitting this morning. Um, our our niece, she's um she's five and a half, and um it's her her gaming ability is all over the place. Like she can be a Lionel by herself. In Breath of the Wild, but she's playing Mario 3D Land on um, on Wii U, and she struggles to jump on top of enemies' heads in three-dimensional space. So it's interesting to me, like at that age of development, she can she can fight a Lionel, which is really hard in Breath of the Wild for a lot of people, let alone a five and a half year old. But then Mario, what it does is, if you die enough times in a row, it gives you like essentially get like, this invincibility outfit where you become like white mario like oh in like a top top hat or something and i was watching her watching her play and she was basically like intentionally failing to get that that to get that item she was gaming the game she was gaming the game and i'm like it's almost a shame that this option is in here because she was content to play the levels over and over again until she got good at them but then once she realized the game would eventually just let her skip through something, you know, like she realizes that, you know, she can just cheese it that way. And like, I'm like, oh no, man, just like, it, it, it was hard. It's hard to watch that kind of thing. But then to watch her play like Smash Brothers and Breath of the Wild and, you know, play those games the way they're meant to be played. It's almost just like having the option in there is like too much temptation for a child. I, um... I, I legitimately felt a, a tinge of, of guilt last night when I was playing, uh, or rather uh, wrapping up the Hypnospace game, because they they have a hint page, but like I said, I, I didn't have a ton of time since I'm talking to them tomorrow, and I was talking to you today. I was literally like just looking up on, they, they have their hint page, and I went through all the hints, and I was like, oh crap, I can't find the last thing, where's the last thing? <laughs> and so I'm sitting there like scouring Google trying to find it, but... There's a bunch of really either good fans or the devs who have just more hints. 
And I was oh, like, man, oh, that's okay. really funny. And and that's actually really cool. Um, I like that kind of dedication, and it sort of it sort of fuels the the universe of the game. Um, but I ended up watching like Vine Sauce finish it because I just couldn't find it for the life of me, and I I had to. I didn't have to finish it, but I wanted to just that way I could talk in full about sort of everything yeah. that they would allow me to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Like that's kind of one of the issues we're struggling with now is, you know, all these people are trying to find the, you know, the, the third ending to the game and it was, it it's, it's intentionally obtuse and it's intentionally supposed to be annoying. Um, not annoying. It's supposed to be tedious, like an extreme Easter egg uh-huh. that the first person who finds it, will be like a god in like the community and that was like the idea we you know when when we're hiding these things so so much and um you know like every day i'm kind of tempted to just like post an explanation of like how to uh how to get it but i'm just like it ruins the point like it's not like even even as it was the the second ending where you go to the knn building we never intended on telling anyone how to do that but Due to like some unfortunate things, it very early on, um, people who who we explained it to for like review purposes ended up telling people about it, even though they like agreed not to. So like it just became a thing that like oh you you do this ending and then you go and you find you know the the the, the canon ending, but like that's not the way the game was actually supposed to be played. Our hope was that nobody would find that ending, or even believe it was in there when somebody said you could do it. I mean, like, because think think about how you have to do that. You you have to go the opposite direction of what the game is telling you to do. Very specifically, at a specific point in the game where you have this really wild thing happening visually trying to pull you in the direction of New York, and the player has to stop what they're doing, go back into the house, go out the back door, and then go to the complete opposite end of the overworld and complete a dungeon. Like, it was the kind of thing that we wanted... If anyone to find that we wanted it to happen like potentially like a year after the game came out the only reason though that like you know we've ever even talked about having the additional ending in the game was like it was kind of sad to see like people like not know that they could hunt for something more when the idea was supposed to be tell people there was more another ending to, like like maybe six months after the game was out and then have everyone try and find the canon ending and then a year after, be like, oh, but wait, there's more. So like, we had this whole plan, and it got kind of screwed up. And, um, you know, like, we keep we keep dropping really cryptic hints. Um, but they're, like, too cryptic. And then, like, I know people are getting upset over that. Um, but, like, now that you see our intention behind what we were trying to accomplish, I think maybe people will see why we're being a little less explicit about it. One of these days, I'm going to get around to doing a Let's Play and hopefully find it. I probably won't, but we'll see. If I'm not mistaken, you gave a lot of uh, a, a lot of hints away on the uh, on the Dick Show podcast. Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of them were like were very cryptic, and but they're they're in there. There's a lot of you know, um, like I, I had a, I wrote down a few sentences I was going to speak that are like in the middle of the conversation that are like unrelated. That like hint hint at it, trying to be like super sneaky. But like the problem is like people aren't used to finding endings in games through like cryptic bullshit. True. That's not how you games are meant to be played. 
And um, I haven't been in the Y2K Discord in a few weeks because I, I was taking like a kind of internet vacation. And um, I came back and I'm seeing like a bunch of like despair in there. And I'm like, oh, God damn it. I'm going <laughs> to say something because all these people are like disappointed. And like, you know, so we're, we were actually talking about that earlier. Like, how do you, how do you find like that balance, right? Of the player... The player feeling being like they made this amazing discovery. Like imagine if 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 it wasn't well a well known fact that there was the K and N ending, and then some person came across that. How much that would just blow everyone's mind. Oh yeah. So yeah. I, I feel like I feel like you know uh, that's actually like one of the regrets I have with the way that that was handled. Um, in the in the you know, so like should we ever do anything like that again in the future? Um. Uh, we won't even bother telling people who are reviewing the game if there's like more than one ending. And- I, I I definitely feel feel like there's still um, a lot of value in uh, in stuff like that, though. You know. You mean like things that are like truly hidden? Yeah, yeah, and and a lot of it just has to do with um, just exercise exercising your creativity. You know. Right. Um, as someone who's never made a game but has plenty of ideas for them. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, 50% of, of making a game is the idea, so... Yeah, the other 50 is knowing how to do it, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the slower 50%. <laughs> Much that's slower. That's basically like 99%, but we'll call it 50. Yeah. Would you say like the A, B, C, D, E, or whatever was it? It was, oh, it was like some a, weird... Um, of like game dev. Yeah, <laughs> the A would be the idea, and then the rest of the alphabet's finishing the game. Yeah. <laughs> Having the skills to finish the game and then finishing the game. Yeah, and like, you know... Brian and I, like, we started off self-taught. I mean, we eventually went to school for, you know, a lot of the stuff we do. But, like, all of the, the skills to make a game are completely accessible. You can teach yourself everything with the internet these days about game dev, especially with how easy they've made it with engines like Unity and Unreal being so, like, available. Yeah, that's that's just something I'm I'm not really looking into at the moment just because I'm doing the podcast work i'm trying to learn japanese got my hands full but it, it is definitely something I'd, I'd love to look look at um i used to draw stopped doing it now i can barely do it that, so that's another thing i've kind of lost to the um to time unfortunately how old are you if you don't mind me asking i'm 27 oh okay you're you are younger than me yeah no i said old man fingers earlier but you know i'm not that old yeah. <laughs> really not just feel yeah, old. Um, I'll be I'll be twenty nine. Mega Man has on people though. Yeah, Mega Man's hard. <laughs> Mega Man's hard. Yeah, I was playing like Mega Man Zero on my the other day, and I'm like, screw this, <laughs> I can't do this anymore. It's it's um, so twitchy. We're we're experimenting with. Actually, no, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to go into that. But I think that there's, a, what is the Mega Man game that is on the Super Nintendo Classic? Which one did they ship with that? They I think it's that. just X. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you're right. And I, I played that game recently, and um, there was pretty big temptation to use the save state. Like, <laughs> you're having the, uh, the thing, it's like, well, you know, it'd be pretty easy. And uh, I think, I, think yeah. I only did it, like, once, and then I was like, I'm playing this game wrong. I have found that using the save state makes me worse. At the game, because I keep going back instead of going all the way back to the beginning or whatever they want you to do. 
Yeah, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense actually. But it also kind of sucks because you feel like you're wasting time by not using it. Let me see how I can word this without getting anyone in trouble. Have you ever found a game laying around by itself on an emulator that was really hard, and you used the save state? <laughs> um, <laughs> have you ever gotten into the the save state loop of um? Where you just hit quick load over and over again because you're just trying to get past this one thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh Ever accidentally save in an impossible situation? Oh, that's the worst. <laughs> oh, no, oh my god! Thank God for the rewind button, the slight rewind that you get. But uh, Man, I don't even. Yeah. Besides, like the like the Nintendo Classic, I don't think any of the emulators I ever used rewind button in them. I mean, I stopped emulating games like a really long time ago because um. I became like a complete like asshole about playing games on like original hardware, and um, like I really prefer to play Super Nintendo games on like a CRT and like on the Super Nintendo with like the original controller. Oh, same. I feel like I get a lot more enjoyment out of it, and there's like a sort of like time machine element to it. That's uh, that's actually how I beat Earthbound. Uh, the end of last year is we we kind of made our. Our uh, guest room and in, into a, a retro room, as we call it, with just the, you know all the consoles and stuff, and it's kind of got that like '90s kind of feel to it, maybe early 2000s. And so we uh, we sat down because <laughs> one day I was looking looking at like ringtones and stuff for for my phone, and I just picked uh, oh what was it? What's the first town called again? On it, yeah. yeah. I, I picked On It's theme song, and she lo- she looks at me and goes, "You haven't even beaten that game. You're not even like a real fan." I said, oh, no. "Okay, <laughs> all right." Yeah, yeah. Roasted. I said, "All right, let's go sit down and beat it. Let's do it." <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny! And not only did we beat it, we got Pooh's damn sword too while we we're at it. Screw that crap. Oh nice. that's awesome. I'm never no, doing that again. That. <laughs> Have you played Mother Three? Yeah, I played and beat it immediately after Mother 2, or Earthbound, I guess. <laughs> if people were offended by Y2K, they would lose their fucking minds over Mother 3. Why do you say that uh, spe- specifically, though? I'm just... Because we didn't really get to get into it, and I- well, I'd love sure. to talk about stuff like but this. One example would be, like, the, the the characters in the game, which are, like, essentially, like, um, very... Almost like... Poor LGBTQ, you know, representation. I think the, if I'm trying, I'm trying to remember exactly what the characters are called the, in the game. The Magypsies. Yes, yes, that would people would lose their minds over that, and um, ha- people were offended in Y2K when um, the golden alpaca appears after talking about suicide, and they said it was us making fun of, of suicide and death. Yeah, yeah. Of course, it, it's not. Yeah. But in Mother Three, you have the same. Essentially, a very similar thing happened. There's like a poop joke. Like right after, like the the um, the, your mom dies in the game, like ten minutes later, and or not even ten minutes later, it's like the next the next scene, and um, so like all of these little things that that people were upset about in Y two K, I think Mother Three actually, um, would come off way less woke, um, <laughs> and I, I actually somebody made a pretty good list of all of the things that would offend people and the reason why. That's the real reason Nintendo's not bringing the game over here. It's not because Reggie hates Mother Three. It's that the game wouldn't work with a Western audience without a lot of a lot of change, and then that would upset the the fans of the game. So they can't win. So Nintendo's best option is to just never touch that game again. So when did we, as a species, just like stopped accept, accepting fiction for what it was? You know. 
Um, I think it was like 2015 it started. I would, yeah, that sounds right actually, because it was like the yeah. next year I was I was finding out about. I wasn't even into politics necessarily, and I I hate politics because it's all just misery and it is, horrible. and it's 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 nothing is ever gained from it. And did you, did you see um, Django Unchained? Yeah, that was a great movie. Amazing movie. It's Can't a, make it I, now. I think it's a masterpiece. But um, it got when it came out, um, people online there was a big debate where people were they seemed to be unable to tell the difference between a character saying something and the filmmaker endorsing something yeah so just because you know a a slave owner will use the n-word they're like why is quentin tarantino saying that why is he putting this out into the world it's like well if you're gonna make a movie about slaves you gotta use the n-word hard to, to 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 make you hate the slave owners if they're like really nice people and they're not being, you know, <laughs> racist monsters who are literally owning other human beings. So, you know, you could, you could water that down, but it would be, it would do a disservice to history to anyone whose family like suffered through that. Um, and it would just make the movie dumb. But I think around that time, the seed was being laid for people to not understand the difference between a character doing something and a movie endorsing something. And that was the first time I saw it. And then by 2015, it started to become more rampant. And I started to see, like, um, online, like, actors who had done, like, monologues getting in trouble for stuff that they said, even though it was something that the character said, written by a different person to be put into a movie that has a bigger context. And it wasn't, like, their personal opinion they were saying. It's, like... There's like, um, there's this, uh, do you know a lot about like theater acting? Uh, like Broadway? Yeah, like, like about like the philosophies behind it and stuff. Not necessarily, but go on. Yeah, it's, a, it's really, really, really cringy. <laughs> but I, 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 who was, um, trying to get into like, uh, theatrical acting, not, not musicals, but like straight plays. And she literally believed that when she was acting, she was not her, not herself, but the, the character and that she literally transformed and that there was like a, a spiritual change. And there's a, there's a, a whole branch of acting that believes this. And I wish I could remember the name of it. And um, so they believe that while you're in character, you're, you, you are not even yourself. So you, you can, you can do wild and crazy things. Okay. But then if you compare that, to how a lot of people are looking at acting now. Like, like um, I think Brian Cranston had gotten in trouble because he portrayed a character in a wheelchair and he his legs work. And like, well, why didn't you use an actor whose character's legs don't work? And you can, you can see how much the philosophy has changed, but it's not the philosophy within acting, it's, it's within the consumers. So the actors are still going to do their thing. But there's a big difference between casting, you know... Um, Emma Stone to play a Japanese girl versus casting Brian Cranston as someone who who's paralyzed, right? right? Like they're they're different types of, you know. One I can one one is really stupid. Because Stone is definitely not Japanese. The other one's just it's acting, and it's something you know people have done for a long time. And if you're gonna cast people, if you're looking at if you're whose life is exactly like the actor. How good of an actor are they really? 
if they're just portraying their own experience. Yeah, also, like, yeah. Good luck finding them. Like, yeah, find find me someone who is good of an actor as Cranston <laughs> in a wheel. Not saying that like what I'm saying is that an actor of Brian Cranston's caliber is uncommon. Yeah, Not that people yeah. in wheelchairs aren't good actors. Right, <laughs> which would be an absurd. Which would be an absurd stance. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, we. I think. <laughs> I think, I think we get the the point there. Uh, I hope so. Because I may have just gotten myself in a lot of trouble with that little dude, uh, diatribe. Acting is done in the leg. Yes. I, it's, all, all, it's all in the legs. I uh, I'm also a pretty firm believer in uh, unless you're actually being malicious, just stand by your word. So whatever you just said, as long as you weren't trying to hurt anyone's feelings, it shouldn't matter. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the, people dance around their words so much these days, and I to an extent will um like the emulator thing uh, <laughs> yeah but um you know even okay so like ghost in the shell right that was a scarlett johansson yes um in my in my journey to learning japanese uh, one podcast i found was called bilingual news and they cover a, a wide variety of stuff i think some or a lot of yeah, it's, just, it's probably just some of it comes from from us over here, and uh, one of the things they were talking about because it's like a I think it's just like a English speaking uh, foreigner who lives in Japan. Yeah, and um, a Japanese woman who can speak English, but she speaks Japanese, and they go back and forth. That's why it's called bilingual news. Um, oh, I see. Yeah, it's actually it's actually pretty pretty interesting. But they they talked about that and. They were just, they were like flabbergasted at how offended people got over this movie, this piece of fiction of a, a girl basically playing an, an android made. <laughs> like, it, 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 she could be literally any color just about, but, you know, I guess for the sake of uh, adaptive, um, just, just sticking to the anime, they just picked somebody with that tone of skin or whatever when we were when we were casting y2k like i i, I tried my best to find actor actors and actresses who like you know like if there's a black character you someone who was either black or you know part black or you know that there was some some experience to draw on you know like and i i that i totally get but like with with sammy's character she's voiced by um uh, kelly dugan who does her voice she's white and she was just simply the the best audition. She was just really, really, really good. And she was so charming. And she her voice was really easy to fall in love with. And you only see you're only with Sammy for a short period of time in the game, so that really needed to come across. And when it comes to like voice acting, like I, I think it's kind of like anyone's game. The best best performer, you know, should win, right? Yeah. Like uh, that's why like I'm a big believer in blind and like blind hiring always go by portfolio go by resume and go by resume. i think everything all of the lot of problems we have with discrimination would be solved if, if everything was done by a number when you're submitting you know your application to something and you're submitting your work and not by an actual name I and your identity that. is not revealed until after you're hired which is what orchestras do when they're when they're auditioning people everyone does it from behind like the 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 judges who are going to hire these people um they're behind like a black wall so they have to go off by their ears so they can't hire their friends they can't hire based on how attractive the person is 
And when it comes to like creating art that's not visual, like in using your own body, like 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 an, like like a live action acting, um, I, that's like I think the best solution. And I would I'd love to see more companies adopt this idea of um, you know going completely based on merit. Well, that's how it used to be, you know. At least I that's feel what like people tell me, but I don't think I ever lived through that. I I mean I'm relatively young, you know, but um, I I, f- I feel like. You know, when when companies are trying to to do well, that's what they do. You know, and when it came to the casting of of Sammy, I mean, how much of an asshole would you have been if you're like, no, I'm sorry, you're not. You know, you're white and she's sorry. You know, like yeah, she's just she's right. looking for work, and if she's denied work based on something like that in her field, and she was the best at the audition, she was, and that's all that matters. Yeah. Right. And um, there's so like there's you know there's some nuance to this right like obviously like I don't I'm I'm not a fan of like casting like white people to like play Japanese people or white people to play like black actors like there's sure, they're doing yeah. a um they're doing a um a production of Porgy and Bess in, in like I think it's in Hungary which is like a a really old like musical slash opera by Gershwin that was famous for having like a the first like all black cast and um the story according to the New York times was the, the actors were asked to sign something to say they identify as being black, despite the fact that they're all just white Hungarian people. And um, it's like, we're getting to a point where it's like, okay, well we're, we're going to use language games, you know, to try and, to try and justify this thing. Like, Oh, we're, we're, we hired these people. Okay. In Hungary, it, it, I could see it possibly being difficult to put on Porgy and Bess with an all black cast. But maybe just don't do Porgy and Bess. There's a billion other, you know, operas you can do that will fit what you can cast. And then the the whole, I think there's a lot of a lot of moving pieces to this. And I, I'm hoping our culture can quickly come to a, a conclusion that doesn't basically have all of us like like uh, going insane because yeah, we're yeah. we're on a we're in a weird place right now. We're in a very weird place right now, a place I never thought I'd I'd see in my day. Um No, absolutely not. Like I said last time you were on the on the podcast, it's it's like it's like tribalism, um, in all sorts of different ways. Um there's there's communities and groups for everything now and they all not all of them, but they, but there's a lot that seem to kind of they stick to themselves and they sort of lambast everybody else, you know, and it's really and strange. I think, I think what happens is that 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 type of behavior is amplified by the internet. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think that those people aren't, they're probably not really like, there's a few, but most of them probably aren't even like that in real life. I think a lot of people dogpile on social media because I think there's a certain rush you get from it. I think that um, a lot of people tend to fall into some herd mentality when they're seeing a bunch of people from their group acting a certain way and they feel like they need to, you know, act out this, almost like a performance, you know, for like their tribe. And I, I don't think it, it happens um, in person because we have this beautiful thing called social anxiety, yeah. which helps us <laughs> like assholes in person. Yeah. So if only we could find a way to add social anxiety to Twitter. <laughs> like maybe like you should have to do all, all of your tweets with your webcam on. And <laughs> when, when you, when you're scrolling through it, you're seeing the person's face. <laughs> I don't. That's it's like, like, um, it's like a little vibe. Fine. It's definitely um, it's want... definitely something to explore. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I was going to say that's, that's kind of one, one thing I, I do enjoy about this medium is because I'm talking to you right now. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to Brian. And regardless of what we think about each other, we're not going to sit there. Well, I'm not regardless, but we're not going to sit here as long as, you know, we generally like each other and, and, you know, jump all over each other over stupid shit. Well, the, the thing is right. like, you know, you can have a conversation with, um, with people that you disagree with. Yeah. And, and it can, it can be very civil and, you know, like you have, you, there are two people who are really good at that. There is obviously Joe Rogan is really good at having conversations with all sorts of different types of people. Right. And on the complete opposite end of the spectrum would be someone like Sam Cedar, who's like a super progressive guy who will talk to anyone about anything, even if it's a taboo subject. So when you, if, if everyone could be more like open-minded, you know, like that about having conversations, um, I, you know, I, I think that the, the podcast format brings out the best in people, the best in conversation and communicating. Whereas, you know, bite-sized tweets about our shittiest opinions really don't do much good. Did you, um, did you listen to the uh, Tim Pool uh, episode with, with Twitter? Um, Joe Rogan? Uh, Joe Rogan? Yeah, I, I saw that one. Yeah, one of the big things that they, that they brought up with Twitter, and I'm, I'm pretty sure Twitter is kind of the big, uh, the big social media giant at the moment, thanks to the Cambridge yeah. Analytics stuff. Um, yeah. One thing, one big thing he brought up, and I, I agree with this because, you know, I'll explain in a second, but there's no nuance. There's not much room for nuance when you're, when you're, uh, tweeting at somebody which is one reason why i like to dm you because uh, <laughs> you yeah, can just yeah. talk and um b- b- because one big thing and i think anyone who has twitter can can relate to this you start you start with a thought that you want to articulate and you begin to articulate it and you see that little circle getting you know more fuller and fuller and you just ha- and you're, you start shrinking you're like how do i explain this in, in as, as little words as possible in the last like sentence and then yeah. things get misconstrued or, or what have you. I, I think I'm okay at it. You know, I haven't had any backlash about much yet. So, <laughs> well, you know, give it time. I mean, the, uh, the the path to hell is paved by good intentions. <laughs> I'm sure you'll find a way to upset someone. Oh, I already have. Uh, it was about the accessibility thing, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, really. Yeah, that's yeah it was just. That's really- but I think I think that was just sort of one of those just angry people. He kind of came across that way anyway, so I wasn't surprised to get that kind of a response from yeah. him. I'll actually Brian and I will have to leave soon, so I'm gonna I'm gonna close with with this thought. Um, a couple a couple days ago, on Twitter, I saw a conversation between um, a Y2K fan and a Y2K hater. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can pull up the tweet, and I'm just going to read it, because I think it showed exactly what is wrong with people on Twitter and things that, um, you know, we'll do with our, uh, you know, the way we, we treat people. So I won't read the Twitter names. Um, the course, tweet's yeah. out there. You can find it. Okay, the person says, so my biggest issue with Y2K is that it's is that it's literally a self-insert fanfic from a creator who wanted to save this girl from a tragic accident IRL, so he made a video game and put a spin on her death. Reply, ew, WTF. Next reply from the original poster. 
Yeah, it's like the lady who was on the elevator was found in the water vat, and the MC is this main character, is this a ginger dude who's meant to be an asshole and doesn't grow at all. And then the person responds, oh, what the fuck, dude, that's fucking weird. Also, the pro tag looks like a fucking dollar store hipster. <laughs> I know when I first heard about Y2K, I was interested. Now, Lottie. So uh, a fan responds and says, actually, it's not a self-insert. It's just a meme that somebody made with a cosplayer. Also, the main character does get called out in the, in the game and realizes he's a jerk by the end. And they include a photograph of me, and I wrote, I wrote the game. So if, if anyone's going to be doing the self-inserting, it would have been the writer. Um, and there's a picture of me, and you can see that I'm very clearly very blonde looking, and I don't look a thing like Alex. And um, so I, I responded, and I said, actually, I used to have red hair, a different jaw, full beard, I needed glasses, and I always had a cat on my shoulder, but I used my Y2K millions to get plastic surgery and make a time machine to go back in time and look different in my honeymoon photos. And this person who was saying all this shit says, bro, untag me. I literally don't give a fuck. And it's like, okay, but here you are on Twitter screaming into the void, accusing me of, of you know, trying to, like, profit from someone's death and creating some sort of weird psychosexual fantasy in which I can live out some, you know, something, like, in, in real life and I'm subjecting people to it. If you're putting that online and the moment you realize you're wrong and you're like, I don't even, I literally don't give a fuck, but you can't even take a moment to realize the damage that that could have done to somebody on Twitter and the damage that those types of these people who are all just shouting, they're all shouting about, you know, uh, calling, calling me an incel game developer. I saw someone say it was an alt-right game developer, like just these, these weird things that don't make any sense based on, on the game at all. At all, and the moment they're corrected, they're like, "Lol, I don't give a fuck." It's like, well, you cared enough to write the tweet in the first place. You cared enough to to respond multiple times, but then the moment you see the thing that you've done isn't true, you act like, "Well, I was just, uh, it was just a meme, bro." You know that that right there is everything wrong with Twitter. That exchange, because no one can say, "Oh, looks like I was wrong. Looks like I fell into some fake news." And that's that's kind of the the problem with I think just social media in general right now, but uh yeah, I don't want to take up any more any more of your time because you, you did say you have to go pretty soon. But I I do appreciate appreciate you guys coming on and uh, hanging out with me for about an hour and a half now. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean I had a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I always like talking um, talking to you, you guys. We're always down to come on and talk about you know stuff. Next time a game offends someone, we can come on and we can talk about that. <laughs> We should just like make a whole podcast off of that if you guys just have dead downtime. We, we totally could. Uh, um, that's, that's an one idea. One thing that we should one when people find the third ending, we should do that. Absolutely. Is there anything that you wanted to uh, plug before you leave? Uh, yeah, I just want to tell people that the limited run version of Y2K is almost complete on our end, and it'll eventually, well, soon it'll be going into production as soon as we finish the box art, which is the thing that's holding it back. Um, so as soon as we finish that, um, you know, the limited run version is still coming on Nintendo Switch and PS4. You know, be on the lookouts for that, and hopefully you can, you'll can you be able to grab that this summer. Awesome. Hopefully I can get, get my hands on a copy. But yeah. anyway. Uh, well, that was, uh, that was the... Uh, uh, now, now, officially, 
affectionately named Ack Boys, as I'm calling them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hope you're okay with that. And the uh, New Jersey stand-up comedian. Um, yes. <laughs> I remembered. Um, so, you know, follow me on, on Twitter, at Dak Talk. Follow them at uh, Ack Studios. And uh, yeah, I really got to say, you guys are, are pretty incredible. Uh, I've been following your, your career for a, a couple of years now and everything that's happened in between. And uh, I really empathize with all the stuff going on. That's actually why I reached out in the first place. Um and just your your work ethic is incredible, and I want you to I really want you to keep it up and keep going, and you know just do what you love. We really appreciate that. Thanks a lot, and um, thanks for reaching out, and thanks for liking the game, and thanks for giving us the opportunity to keep talking about it. Absolutely. Well, hey, you guys have a good one. You too. You too. All right, till next time.